Welcome to the AWP 2020 podcast by Bloomsday Literary and Effing Shakespeare, hosted by Kate Martin-Williams, Fu Lu, and Lily Wolf, narrated by Michael Julius Y. Adani. And then you can go the other way. Hello, <laughs> it's me. First book set. What was your writing process like for that? How did you How did you get that first book written? It was a lot of crying. Okay. Yeah, we hear that followed, a lot on the show. We hear that a lot. Followed by Vicodin. Okay. And then three days of sleeping. Oh. By nature, you are supposed to give information, and rhetorical questions don't give information. They withhold it. So Why someone- would anyone use rhetorical questions? <laughs> <laughs> oh, how ironic. <laughs> Be real, have we seen Jericho? I mean, I wasn't going to go there, but have we seen Jericho? Shit. Look, I'm trying to write a question for you, and I just wrote Jericho Brown. (laughs) (laughs) This is Angela Super, and she is at AWP today and this week to talk about her new book, Erebus Dawning, which is forthcoming this year. When does it come out? It comes out in August. I don't have an exact date. My publisher likes to keep me on my toes. <laughs> <laughs> keep you interested. And who is who is the publisher? Athon Books. Nice. And yeah. can you tell us a little bit about Erebus Donning? Um, it is about a space pirate who discovers she is a AI human hybrid and she has to go face to face with with a oppressive queen to save her crew and family. Oh my gosh. And have you been writing have you been writing this genre forever? Is this your, um, your chosen? Well, it kind of chose me, but I Tell I've me been... more about that. How, does, <laughs> how, does, how did it choose you? Well, I'd like to thank my grandma who was passed away. Aww. Uh, it's very sad, but growing up visiting her in Bellingham, Washington, she had a stash of science fiction and fantasy books and I didn't like going outside and playing with all the other cousins. I liked sitting inside and reading and she was like, here, here's this fantasy book that I just read. You'll like it. It's Anne McCaffrey or it's Ursula Le Guin. And I fell in love with the science fiction and fantasy genres and she was really the only one who was really okay with me not playing with other kids and just reading instead. Aww, that's fantastic. So, Grandma, what was her first name? Her, her name is Bobby. Grandma Bobby. Grandma Bobby. We should thank all the Grandma Bobbies in this world who put books in front of children and give them places to go and things to see. Yeah. Good yeah. Good yeah. And she lent me my favorite book in the whole entire world, The Dispossessed. Oh, nice. Yeah. And it's like the one thing that I forgot. I normally keep one with me so I can pass it off to like some interesting person and so they can read it. Right. If they haven't read it before. Right. Well, that's fantastic. But you didn't bring any with you to AWP. You know, I had so many things to remember for <laughs> setting up for the 2020 debuts booth. Sure. So, yeah. And if you're here at the show, we should give a shout out to that crew over there. Every year, organization, do you guys reach out to new, how, how do debut novelists find you? Like if there's a 
debut novelist who knows their book's coming out in 2021 and wants to be involved? Well, right now, I think it works by word of mouth mostly. Okay. Because I found out because my CP and best friend, well, bestie, one of my best friends, she's amazing, Sarah Bond. Shout out to her. She <laughs> she just released her first book, Gravity's Air. Oh, nice. And she told me about the 2020 debut group and got me in. And I've done that for a couple of my pub sibs at Athon Books, who are debuts as well. And it just kind of feeds on itself. Right on. People mm-hmm. telling each other about it. And from my understanding... The people who started the 2020 group kind of trained in the 2019 group and grew the 2020 group. Yeah, it's a great service because you guys get together and then get to share the table. Mm-hmm. So not you know it's not like one person has to buy the table at the conference, and then you guys get to all kind of market together and piggyback off of the momentum that you create together as a group. It's such a great idea. It's a little collective of debut novelists. Yeah. Yeah. And actually we have AWP to thank for our booth because they set it up for us. Good. So we, we were very, very fortunate that they invited us to be here. Well, thanks AWP. You seem to be one of those rare authors who is out there on Twitter doing good work. That's not fair. There are a lot of authors <laughs> doing really good work. There's a lot of people good work doing good work out there. Twitter. But I want to talk about what you were doing, specifically with First Fridays and hashtag PrackPick. Did I say that right? PrackPit and Fry First. I and, didn't say it right. And I said no, it exactly wrong. Five pass quickly, Kate. And also, the one that I don't have on my bio is Query Connection. Okay. Tell us about all three of those hashtags and why they are useful tools. Well, Fry First is a first-line themed weekly kind of game that I do. It's been on hiatus because of the debut stuff and because of preps for AWP for the last couple of months. But as soon as AWP is over, I'm starting it up again. (laughs) But it gives people a place to share their work and just kind of be themselves and get positive feedback you know, get likes and retweets and things like that. Okay. So they just post a little bit of their work and then hashtag. Yeah. Like it started out with, you know, the first line of your entire novel. And then it's kind of evolved into the first line with or about love or the first line about music. And then it kind of evolved to a thematic topic kind of thing. Oh, cool. And I always go back to the first line of your book eventually because it's a classic. And everybody starts new projects, so it gives them a chance to share their new projects as well. Right on. Prackpit is it's very unfortunate that AWP happened at the same time that Pitmat happened. Oh my gosh, are they overlapping this year? Pitmat is today. Oh my word. Because normally two days before a big pitch event, I do a um, I do Prackpit. Okay. Um, where we workshop um, your pitches for a pitch event. Um, and there are rules, and I have that on my blog. Um, Which is? Uh, where do we find your blog? 
If you go to my website, ajsuperauthor.com, there's a little tab at the top that says blog. Nice. And it's the bloggy blog because <laughs> I couldn't figure out a good name for it. <laughs> and That's my new. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, and you can subscribe for my to my newsletter there too, and it's the newsy newsletter. So it's uh, yeah, it's very thematic. <laughs> so I'll tweet out the rules and all of that stuff. But I normally spend a whole day like helping people with their tweets and their pitches and stuff like that. Can you tell maybe a new new authors looking for agents what Pitmad is about? Pitmad is a pitch event that you write a short summary of your book, usually one line, one line, 280 characters. And you include certain hashtags to identify your book to make it searchable for the agents and publishers. And you cross your fingers and hope for the best. (laughs) So, yeah, we imagine a slew of agents and publishers out there scrolling through Twitter to find things that sound interesting to them Mm -hmm. and hit you up on Twitter to see if they can get more. And Pitmad has had some very big success stories. Sure. So we had one on the show. Remember Kristen Ray? That's how she got her book deal. That's wonderful. In our first season, she's a middle grade. I always call her a middle grade author. She's a YA novelist. Sorry, Kristen. I know what you do. I read your work. I love you. And you guys are friends too. And we're friends. So, yeah. And so then that's kind of a service you're providing back to the writing community. Yeah. I figure I'm fairly decent. I mean, I'm not the end-all be-all advice on anything by any means, but I can help where I can. Yeah. Do you have a number one hint or suggestion that you could share on the show for people listening? Don't use rhetorical questions. Okay. Because... By nature, you are supposed to give information, and rhetorical questions don't give information. They withhold it. So Why someone- would anyone use rhetorical questions? <laughs> <laughs> oh, how ironic. <laughs> oh, Okay, so Angela, if people want to find more of your work and find out more about Pit and, God, is it first? No, it's not first Friday. Fry first. Fry first. Where do they go? Well, Fry first is just kind of out there. Uh, I don't really publicize it. Prack Pit is on my blog. And your Twitter handle is? And my Twitter handle is allbrevitywit.com. I figure effing Shakespeare should find that interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Uh, Did I say allbrevitywit.com? It's just allbrevitywit. That's just... Okay. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. All good. Speculative fiction, and you know, we were just talking at the breakfast table this morning about what sci-fi, or you know, just that whole world. It's yeah, kinda, you, get, you get in the nitty-gritty of fantasy, sci-fi, speculative fiction, but what that offers as a way of um, writing about this era, while also writing about the future and future solutions. And you have a lot of great quotes on your uh, on your website from Butler and Le Guin and, and such. As talk about yeah. that. and so. 
Oh yeah, that Asimov quote was so the good. Asimov quote. Oh, that was my favorite. I think I have it written down somewhere. Yeah. Can you read the Asimov quote? Yeah. Science fiction writers foresee the inevitable, and although problems and catastrophes may be inevitable, solutions are not. So. I was wondering what, what you had to say about that. Oh, um, you know what's hilarious is I just started reading uh, one of the debut's books. It's called Past This Point, mm. and it's about a pandemic. Oh, my word. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so far it's kind of fabulous and kind of scary. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, yes, science fiction and speculative uh, fiction writers and even fantasy writers, we all have this habit of picking things that we see in our world and making them, making them real or in Nicole Mabry's instance, possibly even writing them into existence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and one of the things that I, I like writing about is family and identity and um, how identity affects our sense of power. You know, when in the future, how states and conglomerations become one big thing and how that affects in the um, future? Is in, that, I isn't that in the present? Okay, in the present. Mm. <laughs> wink, wink, nod, nod. <laughs> and, and how that affects our identity as, what's the word I'm looking for? Individuals, as individuals, yeah, as international people, as... Um, it, it considers global citizenship a lot. The, yeah, the global citizenship, too. that's what I'm looking yeah, for. Yeah, and you were mentioning that you love reading Butler, who I think is one of those authors that just does an outstanding job of that, of, of how, do, how do our identities change us. Like, like I, I just read Bloodchild, and she deals a lot with gender, I would say, too, and how our identities change with relationship to the people around us in the future, yeah. Yeah, and one of the things that I really stressed in my book on the gender front was that that if you can't see a face, like if somebody's in a helmet, their pronouns are they and them. So unless you hear a voice, unless they're very readily identified as male or female, they are, you know, they're their gender identifiers are much more fluid until they identify themselves. Which is really powerful for our era too. I mean, being at this conference with everyone where we don't know, you know, we, we don't know exactly how to identify them and opting for they, them pronouns perhaps. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. There's a lot of fluidity between the two times. Yeah, and I did that, I did that very much on purpose. Yeah, so. yeah, that's powerful. <laughs> well, thanks for being our first, our, our inaugural podcast. We're off to a great start. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. We are here with Outspoken Bean, and he does all mics. of this already. Yeah, I used to. I used to. Are yeah. you not doing it anymore? Not really. Not sound engineering, no. no. I, I'm kind of poetry full-time now. Tell us, tell us <laughs> about awesome. it. Yeah, yeah. So, hi, y'all. I'm hi. Bean. Thank y'all for having me. What's what is this called? AWP on the air or F and Shakespeare live? podcast live? F and Ch F and Shakespeare. All right, there we go. Uh, at AWP, we're All partnering with AWP. That's this so year. awesome. Yeah. Congrats, congrats. Thanks. So Thanks. it was pretty exciting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm a poet uh, based 
I'm a performance poet, producer of experiences, based in Houston, Texas, from yes. the small town I'm sure no one has ever heard of called San Antonio. <laughs> um, but no we're one's here. Ever heard of it, we're huh? here. But we're all here. Oh wow! Yeah, wow! How'd that happen? Anymore. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Look the magic at us. of time travel. Everybody, everybody's heard of it, even coronavirus. <laughs> Too soon. My bad. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> we were talking about it being the zombie apocalypse just a minute ago. So oh my gosh. It's all fair game. What would y'all do in the zombie apocalypse? What's your weapon? What's your weapon of choice? Poetry. Okay, that's that's good. I will not be using that one. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Lily? Okay, I'm I'm definitely archery and hiding. Hiding is my main archery. Main I, I think because you get in. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah, what about you? I got a bottle gin and a panic room. So that, panic room. That, oh, I'm, I'm safe. I'm safe. That's where you're hiding, right? I'm, I'm safe. Oh my god! I'm drinking through it. I just know I'm in the right place. There so it is. I'll just entertain. You drink your gin. Bean, what are you going to be doing in the zombie apocalypse? Uh, my my skill would be like MacGyver. That would be, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Get some things and be like, put it together, create traps. Potatoes. Yeah, creating traps and stuff like that. Uh, them zombies would never see it coming. <laughs> Especially since most of them are blind. I don't know how people get caught. <laughs> I don't is know that a, Is that a, that's a characteristic of zombies? They're well, blind. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, but I mean, or they look blind. Come on, things are de- deteriorating. Come on, man. Yeah, yeah. You think they got 2020 vision? They, they're like, hey, hold on, I don't have my reading glasses. I but anyway, what's y'all, what y'all want to talk about? I want to talk about what you're doing in Houston okay. um, with the poetry scene. Man, a lot of stuff. So my life has always been kind of like a puzzle and and, and me, uh, a bunch of pieces, and I'm putting this puzzle together, and, um, and I'm trying to convince people to see the picture. <laughs> and that's how, that's how I kind of view my life as a... As nice. a performance poet, I work for writers in the schools. A great organization, an amazing yeah. organization. Tell us what, what for they about, do for, for the past thirty six years. They have been sending poets and writers of all mediums into schools to teach creative writing to young people. And not and and the byproduct is they'll they'll pass the stupid test. But <laughs> but right. but like the product, the idea of it is for them to. It's really for young people to like to use this wonderful organism that's in their head and their brain and to be analytical thinking and to think ahead and to and to develop a story, to develop to develop a true thought, to be eloquent with it. You know, that's that's how I see it. That's that's what I tell people what, what writers in the schools does. It's a form of a you know, evolution has changed, but we're gonna do it through our young people that uh, when we go into the classrooms at high quality, high caliber. And I've seen the work that they do, that thank these you. young people do under people like your tutelage. It's yeah, amazing. Thank you. Thank it's you. so inspiring. I love, I love seeing it happen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It's a lot of fun. So, so you're doing wits and then what and else? Then what are the other and then my, I am an entity of myself, outspoken being. As a, I'm a poet and and a performer, and I also produce events and stuff. And so, one of the things I do is uh, pass it on. Every month, I do a it's like a, op- a curated open mic where I bring in different artists from around the country into this art gallery, and we do art stuff and and, and 
and charge people to come in to participate. That's one thing I do. I do five-minute poems, festivals, and markets where I am. And on Insta. On Instagram. Doing yeah, I do it on. I'm trying to be consistent. It. Thank you so much. I I'll do one. It. I'm it looks like I'm probably going to be doing it here at AWP. I swear to God, every time I open my feet, I'm like, there's Bean. I got to get on it. Yeah, yeah. And my five-minute poems have been really, thank you for that. Yeah, they're um, great. My five-minute poems have been, you know, it started as um, as like kind of like uh, something to do for Harvey, actually. It was uh, Harvey happened. Fresh Arts was asking me if I could, like, you know, donate my talents somehow for 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 another nonprofit, and I was like, sure, I just do five minute poem. I just kind of said it whimsical, right? <laughs> and then I I did it, and I got some other people involved to do it with me, and we had a long line. It was a fun, it was a lot of fun, and after it was done, I asked them. I was like, yo, how much money did we make? How much money was made? Like, I was thinking it was going to say, like, $100. They're like, wow, we made, like, $700. I was like, nice. never again. <laughs> no, you made $700. Okay. All right. I, I'm missing something out. I'm missing something here. I will never. What? Oh, my gosh. Where are the terms? <laughs> Who agreed to this? I was, I was happy those people were like, you know, helped, but I was like, no, I need to figure out how to do this. But I use this it as an open door for something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And one, it helps me, it helps me like write. And, and then also it's a sense of like directly communicating and talking to people, collecting emails. I have, I believe, I believe emails are still powerful. If Mark Zuckerberg wants your email, I want your emails. Uh, <laughs> and so he still wants them, I still want them. Right, that's how, and so it's a way for me to collect emails That's and to connect point. with people. And I really love like like the joy that people get after I after I do it, even especially if they're skeptical of like because now I write and perform the poem under five minutes. I I've done it so often and I and you know, I've kind of created this this whole process. That's the shit that's so exciting about what you do. Oh we can cuss. Okay. It's called F and Shakespeare. I didn't think about we it. Can- <laughs> I didn't think about it. I didn't think about it. But it is. It's exciting shit because we. It's a. It's different than just opening a book of poetry, For sure. which I, that's the thing that that turns me on about the work that we do is is getting to be in community with people in a real way, not in the not in the like oh we're giving back to the community way yeah, with sure. the quote marks and For and. Sure. It's super exciting to see it take different forms. Yeah, and I reach agree. different people that way. It has to, right? And oh my I, god, it has to. I feel like, and and even with like five minute poems, I I was at one point I wouldn't take a picture. I would only take pictures of the poems that I liked. And people, you know, people waiting in line, they start noticing it. And they're like, why are you taking picture of mine? And um, <laughs> so then I started taking a picture of, of all of them. Okay, so tell me the process. What's okay. happening? So what happens is you walk to my table, right? Okay. Kate walks up to my table. Yeah. And I have a bowl of words, right? And you pick three words out of there or you say you give me three words, which I actually prefer. So you give me three words. I have a sand clock, like the uh, yeah. the hourglass, yeah. but that's not called an hourglass. That's called a sand clock, people. We're learning. <laughs> it's called a sand clock. All right. That is the schools, right? Yeah, you know what I mean. You Yo, get it right. All right. So, well, the school part specifically. Yeah. All right. And so you have this. I have a sand clock that's set for five minutes. You flip that, uh, Kate, you would flip it over, and that would indicate for me to start. And I write a poem incorporating those 
those elements, uh, those three words into it. Right. Sometimes people give me topics as well, and then before the last grain of sand goes down, I would have had written and performed the poem. I have really good handwriting. My handwriting is immaculate. <laughs> all right, <laughs> it is pretty. Beautiful. And now I age paper. I'm using age paper that I do myself with like coffee and tea. Wow. Um, nice. Yeah, so it's a whole bunch. Of, and then I make it a scroll now, right? So like you get the scroll. You know what I mean? You're a piece of Man, art. You How many poetry nerds are out here listening to this, like drooling? They want this. They want yeah. access to this. Yeah, they got it. You gotta come get it. Come to Houston or bring me out. Or bring me out. You know what I mean? I travel, y'all. I love and it. And then you take a picture and you I post it. Take a picture it. and I post it. Well, no, I don't post them now because I'm I'm actually making a book of them right now. Yeah, I'm in the process of doing the self-publishing, making this book. It's a coloring book. It's like, Shut um, up. Hmm? Yeah, I have an Aww. artist, and so I'm doing that right now, and I'm really excited about it. This is so cool. Yeah, so that's, that's like so cool. those are the some of the things. Other than like performances, I still perform still do like if a college brings me out or or I don't know I, I, I'm, I'm open to be booked <laughs> that's, awesome. that's good well, to know where can, where can people find that book once it's done it will be on my website it will be on which is um, outspokenbean.com outspoken it's all spelled correctly because I'm not that poet um, <laughs> and and it is it, and it will be you know and I'll, I'll just pretty, pretty much be hustling <laughs> hustling out because I'm doing it self-published right awesome. now. Yeah. Well, I, I have a I have a question on yes. behalf of the youth. Yes. And since you're doing <laughs> the youth, I yes, the youths. Uh, maybe I'm on like the later end of that, I guess. But uh, oh, since yes, you do yes. a lot of youth advocacy, what is um, ways for youth writers to break out into the writing world? Like events we should be going to, things we should be trying. Yeah, for sure. So in Houston, there's uh, right now is slam season. So we have the youth, the youth poetry slam team, which I'm the coach of. We have the youth poetry slam team that where I mean, every what, event. When are you sleeping, dude? I slept last night. You did? Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> How are yeah. you doing this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, I'm not. It's not like I wish I was type A. Because I'm not. <laughs> but if I was type A, I would be a little more organized. But I'm not type A. I don't know. I only know type A. And I guess that's indication that I'm not type A. Because I feel type A person would know the other types. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm not type A. Am I type Q? Oh, no, yeah, yeah. actually. No, um, the type A people don't care about the other types. <laughs> but they like, know them. They know them. I actually it. care. They're fixated on their own Now, type. I'm just saying. I, I've heard. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even. I, but they, I feel like they would know it. I don't know what they are. But I want to know. <laughs> anyway. I'm tangenting. So, Metaphor Houston Slam Team is being formed right now, and we are in the midst of our 10-year anniversary of Space City Poetry Slams. Holy crap. 10 years. That's fantastic. I started it 10 years ago. I can't believe it. It's crazy. You started it? Yeah, Space City Slams. I started that, yeah, 10 years ago. And me and Deborah. I was going to say, that's how you met met Deborah. No, no, I met her beforehand. I met met her before that. We, We were friends before that. I brought her on. He's talking about the inimitable Deborah Deep Mouton, yeah, who awesome. is sadly not going to be here because she's doing her yeah, amazing awesome. event her at the Houston Grand Opera. Yes, awesome. Deborah's doing awesome, awesome back in Houston. Yeah. But, so you knew, so you knew her, and then yeah, and and this, I, I knew we needed something to, you know, like an event that can be branded and, and used 
for to get people excited about it. And I was like, Space City, great. <laughs> Space City Youth Poetry Slam, right? And it's a series, right? And so it's, it's evolved. And when writers in the schools took up Metaphor Houston, they, they essentially took in Space City Slams as well. This is our 10 year anniversary. We had our first, and all of the slams for young people they're free to come watch. They're free to, to join. We say we only take 15. We're lying. Well, if you show up, <laughs> you can slam. You need two poems, two original poems. They do not have to be memorized. I mean, it helps if they are, right? And we have judges. If you want to be a judge, Kate, you know what I'm saying? If you want to be a judge, I'm looking for some Sign for our semifinals. Sign so me we up. have preliminaries, we have semifinals, and then we have finals. And finals will be finals will be the 7th, I believe, in April. Fantastic. Yeah. I yeah, we had um, we had Io on the show, yeah. and he had just got back. I think he, he showed up to record, and he just got back from judging. Yeah. And he was just he just could not stop talking about yeah. how amazing he was just like tearing his hair out because people were doing odes to socks. Yeah. And it was like fantastic. Yeah, it's awesome. It's, it's amazing. awesome. It's yeah. really it's yeah. impressive. It's impressive. Oh, and I'm, right now I'm also coaching the Prairie View Slam team <laughs> as well. <laughs> I forgot about that. Going to Cupsy. That's amazing. You know what I mean? I'm missing Coachella for these kids. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm, I'm not lying. That's I, I have my Coachella tickets bought. What? Yeah, I bought them last year before that I found out. sacrifice. Like, yeah. I'm s- Do the kids know? Do oh, they, man. They oh, know? yeah. Oh, yeah. And they like, love you for it. Yo, listen. When they mess it up, I was like, y'all, I am not going to Coachella. They're like, we got it. <laughs> we got it. Okay. I'm like, listen, you need to finish these poems. Because I'm not, I'm missing Coachella second weekend because of y'all. <laughs> yeah. You know okay, what I'm so saying? Anyway. This, here's a question. So what does that do for your work? When you're out here with these kids and when you're doing five-minute poems and when you're... Well, what five-minute poems, that's a direct... That's a direct line. Um, yeah, that's a yeah. direct line because it's my it's my work, right? Right. And you know, it's one man's trash. That yeah, yeah, one man's trash is another man's treasure. My trash is my treasure. That's how. <laughs> <laughs> if I, it doesn't matter if I don't like it or not. You know what I'm saying? It's mine, right? Uh-huh. So uh-huh. I, I so it's essentially like that's a direct line. But but indirectly, what coaching does, especially with Prairie View, because I'm not being paid to do it. Right, Prairie View, I'm essentially volunteering my time to do that. So what that does is, one, I love seeing, I love seeing growth in other people in this craft if they want to continue doing it, or it, it's or seeing the growth of them as, as human beings essentially to not just to not grow up to be a shitty person. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I feel like Poetry Slam is, does really well in being a DNA. To like help strengthen other parts of yeah poetry slam specifically when you go through the process it help, it's, it's like accountability and yeah there's like the editing and revising and, and practice but like yeah all it's that like craft a, bullshit. yeah 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 all that craft bullshit but it's like also of like you know the, being responsible being accountable being learning to follow up right learning to how to make a dollar stretch right they had a I booked them for an event on Tuesday this past Tuesday. It was in Galveston, and they're in Prairie View. That's a two-hour drive. And, you know, they're broke college students. And they're, they're like, we're only getting paid $50. So in my head, in my head, I'm like, hey, we didn't get paid anything when we went 
to places. That's when I was in their situation. I was yeah. like, I, yeah. didn't, I didn't get paid anything. Okay. But okay. When I was a youth standing at the oh fence, my God. nobody I'm paid me. Standing at the fence. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? But so, so they're, they're, they're complaining. Or one of them in particular is like, how much we gonna make? Like, that's not even worth it. You know, we can't take two cars. And I'm like, don't take two cars, take one. Take one car. It's only Let's four of y'all. Out, yeah, y'all. yeah, take one car. And and they're like, they're like, how are we supposed to how are we supposed to make this money? I was like, I was like, sell your books. They're like, nobody wants to buy paper. I was like, yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah, they do. Now the reason why she said that is because they did not do the due diligence of like, of like, trying to make like a chapbook look presentable. So they would have to deal copies and like you know, Xerox it and do it themselves. I was like, yo, you got to sell the dream. Your kids, essentially, you trying to get somewhere. Say we're trying to get somewhere. Buy our books. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, we'll sign it. Yeah. Right. They wind up. I wind up telling them you're doing it because you're booked. Right. That's that's the way this world was. And you need to make more than fifty dollars. They came back with 175. Shit. <laughs> I'm like, good. <laughs> they're like, and then they're like, oh, we're so glad we did it. <laughs> but, That's awesome. I'll, That's I'll be really so glad awesome. when you shut up. Yeah, I'm yeah, missing yeah, no, Coachella. No. <laughs> <laughs> Are y'all? Oh my gosh, I love it. Yeah. Dude, we could talk to you all day. Do you want to just hang out all day for the rest of the day? Something I mean, like why that. not? I mean, y'all kicking me off. Y'all got, y'all got no well, more questions. Let's, no, let's, what's, uh, what's we got? Can we end with a five-minute poem? A five-minute poem or a poem? Or a poem. Because, like, this is, you know what I mean? I have a, I have a face for radio. I get it. But, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Five-minute poem. So, part of it is, like, the action. And oh, me okay. No, no, no. Yeah, let's, yeah. Do, let's do a poem. Okay. Cool. Can we give you words that you could no, put we, together, well, or, or, or something? Yeah, or something. I can freestyle. I can freestyle. Or, I can do that. Okay, but I would rather do another yeah. poem. Yeah, I would yeah. rather Let's do, do a poem Let's do it. that I have prepared and, and perfected. Okay, right? Let's do it. During the night, I feel my moon looks up to me. Even from down here, my moon doesn't judge my gravity because he pulls for me. He knows the power behind. Preposition positioning soul between midnight yet before dawn, my moon whispers to me saying, find a way to keep your head above the clouds while your feet, your souls, and your soul remains grounded, however, never underneath it, my moon always knows what's best for me. Despite wherever I am standing, the best part of my nearby is somewhere in my insides. My moon, y'all, is a proclamation. He always knows how to make his exclamation point, stating each day coming should be seen as an unto until we are all up on. Then go into it. And I send that off as a prayer to my brother, my late brother, and he responds saying, bruh, I know that you're closing in. Arms stretch wide to an attainable sky. You know, we don't get too much information up here, but I hear for the past 11 years, you've been letting everyone know where your name Outspoken Bean came from. Yeah, that's a bet. I mean, since we just shoot the breeze, tell me, have the Saints finally won a Super Bowl yet? <laughs> Say it, bruh. Our scope it's inscape, so escape as much as you think you can, bruh. I don't have too much advice for you, but could you tell my daughter Larenique that the weight of royalties, well, those are crowns and the best ones are handmade, same, bruh. 
I know that you're closing in. Arms stretch wide to an attainable sky, and every time you're in front of a set of eyes, give all of you, every ounce of you, from me to you, bro. That's it. Oh, so good. Those kids are lucky to have you, man. Yeah, do you, yeah. so, do you, you. so you write it all down first, or do you just kind of freestyle out loud and then write it down? Nah, I was a little both, but I usually am writing, writing yeah. and talking. So those those are two different poems that I brought together. Uh, the first one is called Solidophile, and I wrote it with the moon as a she. Originally, I wrote the moon as a she. I was writing it. I do this thing called Midweek Stanzas, where I release a video for 10 weeks at a time. And my producer... The first line that came to my head was, I feel my moon up to me. And and then, and then just the rest came out. Then the second one is it's called Sabra, and it's to my brother who passed away 12 years ago, February. And and I don't know, it was kind of like if he was to talk back to me. Mm-hmm. Last year it was 11 years. If he was to talk back to me 11 years, what were some things that he would possibly say in his in his in his speech pattern and then i changed the pronoun of she to he because it felt like it would be him <laughs> and yeah. yeah and i connected yeah i just connected so thank good. you thank you thank you thank you yeah. thank you thanks for being on the show and sharing your love this and your poetry awesome. thank y'all thank y'all for the work you're doing oh, appreciate man. it We are here right now. We are gathered here in this moment to celebrate Catherine Coldiron, who brings an amazing book to the table. We had a chance to review briefly because AWP is is like in constant motion and people are here and people aren't here and you're here. And so now we get to talk about it. Nobody, nobody at home saw me doing big arms and all kinds of gestures around that, but I was doing them. And I want to talk about ceremonials. Okay. I'm ready. Which is a tribute, sort of. Sort of. probably the wrong word. I say it's inspired by. It's inspired by Florence and the Machine. Yes. Which I'm so excited to hear you talk about. Well, the idea for me was when I when I listened to the album, I felt like there was a story in the album that the text of the album wasn't telling. It seemed like it was all in subtext. And I wanted to tell it. And so I feel like the album and the book both have ghosts and girls and a school and obsessive love and betrayal. But other than that, it's my own story kind of tacked on top of the album. People have asked me if it stands alone and I don't know the answer to that. I hope that it does. I just wanted to anticipate that next question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's great. It makes my job so much easier. <laughs> you just no. do a self-interview. I'm thinking, I just finished reading Hanif Abdurakib's nonfiction collection. It's not a collection, it's a book called Go Ahead in the Rain, yeah. which is about a tribe called Quest. I reviewed that, actually. You did? Yeah. Oh, my God. No, so I, I'm, like, telling you shit you already know. No, no, know. no. I, I reviewed, like, 100 books last year, so oh it's fine. Where is your review found? In what format? Um, I'm, I was freelance, so the review of that book was in Book and Film Globe. Okay. Or maybe awesome. it was Rock and Roll Globe. I can't remember. But um, if you search Cold Iron of Durakib, I think that's the only review. No, I've written another review of his. But yes, just have a look there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, when, what was striking to me was that that book made me want to go back 
Yeah. And do the whole discography. I did the same thing. Did you? Because really? I was not that familiar with the tribe called Quest. I wasn't either. Um, I knew like the the big songs, yeah. and that's it. And then, I mean, the best a writer can hope for, because he obviously had an audience that wasn't me for sure. And and to write in such a way that would commit a person to go back. And so ceremonials doesn't have to, I don't think you have to know. I don't think you do. One of my early readers was Christopher Higgs, who's a a writer, uh, a much more famous writer than I am. He had no idea that it was based or that it was inspired by the album. And then he interviewed me fairly recently for at Skylight Books. And Mm -hmm. so he went back and tried to listen to the album. And he said he got 30 (laughs) seconds into the first song before he was like, I can't, I can't, I have to, I have to just take the book by itself. And I just wanted to keep it in its capsule. Oh my gosh. Which I'm shocked at that because he's usually like a very cross media kind of guy, but he was not interested. Wow. So. But then the flip side is true, too. Yeah. Oh, I think so. I mean, there are, there are a hell of a lot more Florence and the Machine fans than there are fans of mine. So <laughs> happy with that. Well, and you were telling me a little bit about how you got the art from your book. And that's really cool. Even more multimedia. Yes. The information age. How, how did you do that? So my editor sent me some suggestions um, on for art that she found on Instagram that she thought would be good for the cover and fortunately I didn't like any of them and she said well why don't you go on Instagram and have a look and I went okay because I hate Instagram and (laughs) I found this I don't remember which image I found first but I found this artist Mariana Magana Delio and she provided the cover and then a bunch of the illustrations that are in the book and they were all pre-made people have asked me if they if the book was illustrated afterward and no we just we found these illustrations we thought they were amazing they went along with the book really nicely so my editor acquired them and now they're part of the book oh my gosh that's so cool yeah it's amazing and did you um did you have any contact with the artist i didn't my editor must have obviously but i did not okay so cool i thanked her (laughs) in the acknowledgments Um, Thank you. Are you still working with Vita? Yes. Tell Um, us about the amazing work that Vita does. I will. Yes. So for those who are not familiar with Vita at all, every year they go through most of the major publications in English, I think, and they count the bylines of people who write stories, essays, and reviews, and then the books that are reviewed in a given publication, and they figure out what the the genders basically like how many books by women are reviewed in the New York Review of Books and how many essays by men are written in Harper's and how many non-binary writers appear in the Paris Review and so they do this count and then they release the results I think it's like six months after the year ends and this count has been going on for quite a few years now and it invariably shows that the representation for women and non-binary authors is unbelievably poor in our <laughs> in our best in our finest publications in English it's it's pathetic and so Vita's bringing attention to that they do a lot of other literary citizenship stuff that's it's so diverse that I'm I don't know a lot about it also I was just recently brought on board to do something that's kind of siloed from Vita's main job so I don't know a lot about it but oh my goodness their their work is amazing and tireless and it's all volunteers there is a chapter in the literary publishing in the 21st century, which is a great book for anyone who wants to get kind of a lay of the land. There's contributors for each chapter, and I think there's maybe 14 chapters. Kevin Prufer is one of the editors out at U of H. And Aaron Bilyeu and 
I'm blanking on the other author of that article, which we'll link to in episode notes, I apologize, or the other article of that chapter writes a great, great take explaining the, the origin story for Vita, which is so, so cool. It's a great place to start if you want to know more about that in addition to the things that you just mentioned. What Can you talk about the other thing that yes. you're doing today? The, the first issue of the relaunched Vita Review, which is a separate whole publication, just came out three days ago yeah. um, on March 2nd. And it features poetry and short fiction and a little bit of creative nonfiction and one interview, which was my responsibility. (laughs) That was like the only thing I had to do was bring in this interview. And I I did. It's with Lydia Yuknovich, conducted by Kelly Thompson. And oh my god, uh, we were just talking about Lydia in the car on the way over here. Yay! Yeah, Yeah, she's terrific. So good. Verge is amazing. Yeah. So the new Vita review is out now. The next, I think we're doing them quarterly. So the next one will be in a couple of months. And I'm the reviews and interviews editor. So if you want to pitch me, you can. Congrats. That's so cool. Thank you. So you're reading pitches. How do you go about finding the next person for your interviews? Because I've been working mostly as a book critic for the last two years, I'm all plugged into that scene, familiar with a bunch of other critics and ton of indie presses and indie magazines so it's not too difficult we always have difficulty finding reviewers of color in any publication that I work for finding books that are fascinating that I want to cover by writers of color and finding people that I want to interview that are writers of color is that's totally easy but finding people who can do the critical work is so difficult part of the problem is is? well I think part of the problem is that Vita and the other publication that I do editing for Barrel House neither of them are paying markets for reviews or interviews and so when I do a call for reviewers of color they believe that I'm asking for free work specifically from writers of color that I'm trying to to specifically exploit writers of color and that's not true no one gets paid (laughs) I don't get paid but we we always want critics of color and we just don't have a budget yeah yeah Um, we'll talk about that hustle then so how are you getting paid uh, I have a different job. <laughs> I mean, we all have day jobs. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but it is something that we don't talk about often. Totally. I mean, I think there's a sort of groundswell that people are starting to talk about it. But unless you are up on the high list, you know, if you're a middle list or you do have a day job. Absolutely. You're doing something else and the rest of this is your passion. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's important to me to say that. I do yeah. have a job, but I also, um, my husband has a very good job, so he pays for a whole lot of my life. And um, I am happy to admit that to anyone who asks because that is part of my privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wish that writers were better paid and more uh, commonly paid in this moment, in this cultural moment, but that's just not where we are right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would like to turn to something I found in my little dive into your world. (laughs) Um, If you were a fan of listicles, if if you were um, the product of a, a particular moment in time, um, and listicles is your jam. Catherine has um, uh, this great list of top five underrated craft books. Yes, I loved writing that list. It's so fun, <laughs> and we we talk about craft books all the time on the show. And so I don't I 
you, I don't even know when you wrote it in, to rela- in relationship to today, but if you want to talk about some of those books, the Steve Almond book yeah. is amazing. I wrote it like two years ago, so I'm pretty sure I remember the you, five books. You have a better memory than um. I do because I don't remember <laughs> what well, I ate yesterday. I, these books were five that I recommend all the time okay. that no one's ever heard of because people recommend Stephen King's on writing constantly. They recommend Bird by Bird constantly. Yeah, right. But yeah, these five were ones that I thought needed more attention. The first one is Steve Almond's book, which is called This Won't Take But a Minute, Honey. <laughs> and it's only available from one place, the Harvard Bookstore. And it's a it's a print-on-demand book. So, like, you have to order it online. It takes three weeks or whatever. But it's incredibly short. It's, I think, 30 pages. And it's just this really clever brief craft book that is super helpful and it explains things like why you shouldn't use dialogue tags other than said and why you shouldn't it's just it's a great book another one is a book called thanks and sorry and good luck by lee klein which is actually for sale at the barrel house table right now <laughs> i'm gonna it's, follow you over there it. <laughs> it's from barrel house books and it's um collected rejections from iShot magazine which is no longer in print but it's it doesn't offer any information about the submissions it just offers the rejections doesn't that sound amazing it's it's so cool (laughs) because this is a good idea you can dive into that and get a lot of material yes and the random stuff that's in there is so funny it's like do not submit stuff about teeth stop submitting stuff about (laughs) teeth you are still submitting stuff about teeth stop it's great it's an amazing very specific (laughs) rejections yes yeah they're great one of them is Plato, which is a really which weird book. It's fucking weird. It's super weird. Yeah. It's great for prompts because it's from the early 20th century. So for the record, a lot of the plots are racist and, and outdated. But you can also replace them like Mad Libs, which is very entertaining. <laughs> and it's basically like a mathematical algorithm for setting up a plot of a fast-moving book. So like you get a thriller and you get... It, I'm going to sound like a crazy person explaining it. You're going to have to look it up, you guys. It's it's called Plato, and it's 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 cool. It's a good book. Yeah, it looks so appealing. It looks like such a great teaching tool, yes. like endless sort of applications. You could talk about why this is racist and how we should not do this, yes. and what do we do, how do we mine for the gold in this section or whatever. Well, and, and also it's got a lot of obsolete stuff, like people who can't get in contact with each other, which now we all have phones. So it adds to questions like, okay, what do we gain from setting something in the past? What do we gain from setting something in the present? I mean, it's, it is such a cool book. Um, I don't remember the other two. I don't have it in front of me, but, <laughs> but we're just going to direct our listeners to go find your work. It's on, lead them to your other stuff. It's too. on craft magazine, I believe, but yeah, it's on my website, kcoldiron.com. Nice. And what, so you're doing reviews. What other freelance work are you doing? Or is that enough? If you did 100 books last year, that's a lot. Yeah, I did a lot last year. Are you going to do 100 books this year? No, no, no. I'm cutting way down on my reviewing because it was just way too much. Well, and you have a book to promote. That too. Yeah. Right now, I am cutting back on freelance. Uh, I work with horses during the day, and that's making me so happy that I kind of, you know, I'm not sad enough to write. I mainly write hybrid essays right now, and it's very, very difficult to find good markets for that, especially because mine are so long. If you have a 1,200-word hybrid essay, no problem. If you have a 5,000-word hybrid essay, less so. Give us an example of one that you're working on, Okay, a a long-form hybrid. I'm just finishing up a collection of essays that each essay entails film criticism, fiction, and memoir. So they all wrap up together. So I wrote about 
I'm, I'm writing about The Misfits, the movie from 1961, and the myth of the American West and horses and kind of what happens when you try to shove a big personality into a tiny little box. Um, so it's, it's an idea essay, but so there, there are nine others like that in okay. this collection. Very cool. So if you're out there and you're a publisher and this is the thing, <laughs> this is the exact thing that you're looking for, you should you should make your way to Catherine Coldiron. Yes, please. Oh my gosh. How did you find your way to speaking of finding places for different genre, how'd you find your way to Kern Punk? Am I saying that right? Kern-punked. I think so. Kern Punk. This is true. In late twenty eighteen, I tweeted that I was very disappointed that ceremonials had been turned down by so many presses. Because I didn't, I didn't know where to go next. Because it was too short for some presses, and it was too long for others, and it was too experimental for this, and it was too, uh, no one wanted it. And I tried. It was a complaint, but it was as nice as I could make it. It was kind of my heart is breaking because I love this book so much, and no one wants it. And Kern Punk tweeted back, and they were like, "We want to see your manuscript." <laughs> and then they accepted it. Cinderella story of Twitter. I don't think that would ever happen. Like, I, I can't believe it happened that way, but it really did. That's fantastic. We hear all kinds of publishing journeys on the show. <laughs> and um, and a simple tweet. I don't know that we've gotten that publishing story. Have we, Foo? I don't think so. Producer Larry, can you weigh in? <laughs> that a simple tweet. Can you check your Rolodex in your head? the dream of one author. <laughs> I think a lot of people resonated with the with the feeling of heartbreak because they knew this manuscript was good, but they kept sure. And that was kind of what I was trying to say. Yeah. No, and I can think of four authors I know who are in that same place, and you just never know what's gonna come around the next day. Keep doing it. Yeah. Keep your ass in the chair. Keep tweeting. Keep complaining. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I learned. Yeah. Put those complaints out there. Can you guys tell me a little bit about? Am I allowed to say it on the air, Shakespeare? Yeah, sure. Fucking Shakespeare. Tell me about this because I'm already on board, but I don't know anything about the podcast. So we started Here this I am podcast, on the podcast. Uh, four seasons ago. We're the four seasons. We're the four seasons of literary podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Luxury and <laughs> podcast, guys. You're not going to be able to say that for much longer. We're the Porsche It'll be of podcasts. Five seasons. It will be five seasons, which is better than the Four Seasons Hotel. It's the Five Seasons Hotel. So we only are going up. Or the musical group. I'm just thinking, like, the Four Seasons with the guests. I immediately thought of the musical group and not the hotel. I thought we were talking about Vivaldi. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's good, too. (laughs) You can kick me out of here. We went soul. We went soul. And Lily (laughs) went went classical. And You're not even Kate in this went Kate. pedestrian. No, I'm sorry. You're not even in this game. And now I have a disco song in my head that's not by the Four Seasons. <laughs> so what? five minutes yeah. into this question that our guest has asked us, and no one has actually answered. Okay, Kate. So this is how the podcast normally. This is how the podcast normally, normally works. Started. So yeah. So we. I asked my good friend, producer Foo, who wasn't a producer at the time. I told him I wanted to do a podcast, and he got out his 3D printer and printed a podcast for us. <laughs> it happened in, like, two days, and he's like, no, seriously, he is that, that brand of friend who will never say no, always says yes. He's like, yes, and. He's the best, like, improv partner you could have. 
creative partner you could have. And he said, let's do it. And we were allowed to squat in his wife's photography studio and set up our shit and tear it down when she had like a beautiful person coming in the next day to be photographed in a designer dress from Chloe whose name I forgot Chloe Dow Chloe Dow shout out to our Houston folks and then we then it was born and we just like hit the ground running and have been able to invite authors into the studio to give them a platform to talk about their work it's a way to connect with the community of writers that we had already started forging relationships with by talking about craft talking about publishing journeys talking about the stuff that's going on in the publishing industry that's breaking people apart but also that's putting people together yes we try to do a little both we we cuss a lot we tell stories (laughs) okay and and try to connect i'm just wondering what the shakespeare connection is you didn't want the feel-good story you just want to know why it's called fucking shakespeare i know like yeah 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 no all that shit why no the, the reason i'm the reason is because i'm a fan of Shakespeare, but sure. I'm fan. I'm a fan of the sort of the version of Shakespeare that's you know way tougher and more interesting than high school Shakespeare. Yeah, and it seems like fucking Shakespeare maybe is part of that. So, so uh, I did. I do want to feel good story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was two things. One, we were looking for titles for the show, and. And everything, we have three people here. Our fourth member of the team is in Boston. She can't make it, but she and I were talking, her name's Jessica Cole. She and I were talking about titles for the show. And everything, everything we were coming up with went back to Shakespeare. Mm. And it was like, oh, fucking Shakespeare. Like, it all goes back to fucking Shakespeare. Oh. And it's sort of, it's, it's two things because... You know, you think about great writing and you say Shakespeare. And, and when we do that, we talk about dead old white men. We want to honor the legacy that we all have inherited from Shakespeare, but also everything else, which is why fucking Shakespeare works, because it's like eye-rolling fucking Shakespeare, but also lots of roads lead back to fucking Shakespeare. Absolutely. And so it, it kind of gets at all of that, which is what the show does. Try to approach it from all angles, approach it, you know, what That's we That's amazing. Thanks. I love that story. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I appreciate it. I feel like Jess tells it better. It's Jess's favorite story to tell. She's not here, so I was doing my best, Jess. Oh, yeah, no, I've because I was, see, now I'm thinking about... What would I name my Shakespeare-themed podcast? Would it be Exit Pursued by a Bear? Or would it be, like, <laughs> what would I name so it? That's good. <laughs> you need to go make sure that's not taken and take it just in case. I'm pretty sure someone's thought of it. That's but good. yes. Yeah. That's really good. Well, thanks for being on the show. Of course. Thank you. This You're was a amazing. treat. We wish you all the best of luck with ceremonials this year. And anything we can do to help promote it, we will. Thank you. I think you already have. Our next guest is Johnny Payne, and uh, you are the director of MFA at the of the MFA program at Mount St. Mary's University in yes, LA. That's correct. And so you're the perfect guest to have next, as our superstar intern Lily Wolfmeyer yes, is. The um, student has all these questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fire away, fire away. And I think a lot of, in all honesty, I think a lot of our listeners will probably be in similar shoes and are out here on the floor of AWP asking similar questions so I guess it uh, is one of your roles at the program to evaluate applications uh, well yeah with my partner Megan who is the coordinator for the graduate school who's with me here 
yeah, she's, they sort of solicit those applications through marketing. And then I'm like the closer, you know. <laughs> we get people to info sessions on our beautiful little historic campus. I have my, what they call the Johnny Show. What's the Johnny Show? Fast talking, sort of Robin Williams-esque, uh, <laughs> slightly free association. But within the free association, I managed to get pertinent facts about the program into the conversation. And I just try to get them very fired up and feeling passionate yeah so of course you know I'm, I'm the first reader of applications and uh, we're for working adults and we have a pretty pretty high standard but I like to err on the side of inclusion I'm looking for people who are interesting I'm not just looking at a GPA and a set of transcripts you know we talk about people about really communicating how they fit with our program because yeah. I want them to look and see oh this is for me I'm I, this is exactly what I've been looking for so we're not just sort of a generic oh please we're desperate come anybody I think we try to build a community in a selective way and I think we've been very successful at that you know it's a great vibe in the program that's very good do you have any advice for young students or people who are you know just applying to MFAs about what to and to not do on an application well here's how I explain it the most important piece of your application is your writing sample I mean that's what you're going to be doing most of the time so you know if you take some fresh work not something from five years ago that you feel excited about and you have that energy to go back and rewrite it that's what I'm, you know, that's what I want to see. You can feel the energy coming off the page. And I tell people I look for ability and teachability. I don't expect you to turn in writing that's ready to publish because if you did, you wouldn't need to come to our MFA. <laughs> right. right? You teach the MFA. <laughs> right. So I'm, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. I can break it down pretty quickly, very analytical. And then, you know, I love looking at transcripts because we get people from their 20s to their 70s. Oh, wow, that's great. Uh, that's good. So I'll be looking at some guy's transcripts who's like an engineer or something, and then I'm looking at his grades from the 70s, and, you know, they're all Fs and Cs and withdraws. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you know, I've, yeah. I'm like, that is totally irrelevant to your application, but it's fun to read and see how much you suck, Ben. So they have a lot of stuff that I can be looked at since then, work experience and, you know, more sure. recent uh, like that. Um, I, I love to talk about letters of recommendation. I especially love it when they come from famous writers who think, oh, if I write two sentences of anything and I sign my name, that will get the students in. I'm like, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> so I tell them, get the one person who, not your mom, <laughs> who really, uh, who really, digs you and who really will sit down and write this kind of love letter to us you know about you right and so th those are the things that i i sort of prize in, in applicants as but as but sorry but if they're raw all the better yeah sure as far as your program goes one of the things that we talk about on the show a lot is the balance especially in mfa programs today of craft lots of classes based in craft and also preparing students to go out and make a living in the writing world. How, as a director, and maybe with your colleagues that are here, how do you guys approach that for new students like Lily, who 
just came out of undergrad or even you're working yeah. you're working adults yeah. what is the balance at Mount St. Mary's well I don't know if this is the exact answer to your question but we attack that in a variety of ways we, we give a series of publishing courses but it's not like seven tricks for getting an agent we look at specifically independent publishing in America the history of it the economics of it and then we look some at commercial publishing and it's very sobering to the students just and I've, I say to them if you really want sobering I'm gonna bring my royalty statements to you, you know? <laughs> then you really cry we want them to understand that there we we have a concept we teach called literary citizenship right and Part of it is, don't just think about your agent or your editor or these fantasies you have. You are entering the Republic of Letters. So you're going to be a citizen of that Republic. Are you going to help make it a good Republic? Or are you not going to buy even your friend's books? That's a classic, you know, MFA person student. You know, they'll spend $20 on a cocktail, but they won't buy their... I can say this word, but fucking friends book. Absolutely. Um, right. And I'm like, you you have to have generosity of spirit. And that's like karmic, you know. Sure. Having said that, uh, you know, so I have students who come in the first semester and they're like, oh, oh, how am I going to get a literary agent? And then I'll say, have you written a novel here yet? Yeah, you have to do both. And I'm Absolutely. like, yeah. first, let's help you write a good novel. And then we'll talk about that. And then, right. and then. We share our contacts and we mentor them like we're serious about that, of course. It's tough getting people into the teaching game these days because academia has been crumbling quickly, you know, relying more and more on adjuncts. I, I, I'm very realistic about that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, if you're coming here um, to get a teaching degree, first thing you got to know is with an MFA and a book that's reviewed, you have a shot at a job. But the, really these days I focus on helping them getting the book published because you look at any job ad, like in the Chronicle of Higher Education, um, when I, I got a job at like a top tier university when I came out with two stories published. Mm-hmm. And they weren't even that great. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were superb. But, um, you know, but that's unheard of It's now. different. Yeah, yeah, it's unheard of. You're, just to be in the game, you got, you know, for, for entry level positions, even lecturers, you, you know, they, they look, oh, you know, you have to have two books. So. You know, I really focus on the craft. I feel like that's honest. Like, I will give you all the tools you have to be the best author you can be. Mm-hmm. And I'll be a mentor to you. Mm-hmm. That's honesty. Like, I'm not going to make... I, I, I see these people who are, who are in some programs, not to cast aspersions, but they promise everything. And I know they can't deliver on that. So mm-hmm. that's just marketing mm-hmm. so that that's kind of how I think about it and what is your what has been your students response to that because I know what it was like 10 years ago to sit in my program and feel 10 years ago that academia was crumbling and it and it was a zero-sum game and and the odds are not in our favor well I, I'm lucky because our jo- our program is for working adults it's weekends and it's online um, in, a, in particular formats so most of our our students were not English majors mm-hmm. and they're not 22 and looking to get into an MFA most you know median age is probably 40 so these are people who are attorneys film producers bartenders a lot of public school teachers union organizers so one guy's on the city council somebody's in finance these people already have careers which is a huge relief because I'm like what they really want is for their passion project to be published or their play to get on that they want to write to get on stage or they want to make a film or sell sell a screenplay 
there's a lot of opportunity in, in, in LA. Yeah. So we yeah. can, we have connections, we can help them much more in that journey. So I honestly have very few students, thank God, who are looking for an academic job. Right. <laughs> so I don't put a lot of focus. I'm very honest, like what I said to you. But having said that, a few of them did get, I, I, one student who I thought was struggling and then she took a semester off and then another student said, oh yeah, she just got a screenwriting job. It's Loyola Marymount. I'm like, how did that happen? So yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I, I was kind of wondering as you were talking about really focusing on getting that book published what is your like number one or top three craft books or your approach to teaching in the classroom how can students of all ages learn new tricks um, well i'm i'm an intellectual okay <laughs> i'm interested in different disciplines and so i'm very cerebral so when i teach i, ha I i'm very method driven so these a lot of these craft books that are kind of touchy-feely they don't work for me but um so I teach playwriting, and there's a Sam Smiley, the, the structure of, playwriting, the structure of action, which is this neo Aristotelian book, but it's so smart, and it and it's a little bit of a, a challenging read. It's well written, but you know I'm telling them, you know, if you can't write a scene, I don't want to talk about anything else. So it's it's a very focused type of intervention that I do. And so these, these, you know, these are the, the kinds of books. And I'll, I'll use critical essays of different kinds. But what I do do, like say in playwriting, I actually work in virtual reality, co-designing these experiences with this guy in England. And I also bring in different artists, visual artists. So for this one, we developed something called Backslide in which you write a play in reverse order. You write the scenes in reverse order. There's this incredible manual. Just, to, to, just you know. as a form of, of a process or is produced yeah. in reverse order as well? No, no. It's just process. Okay. And then the second draft is, is front to back. Oh, wow. That's really um, interesting. And it's it's to teach you about causality. And this 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 uh, very simple short manual by a guy named David Ball uses Hamlet, my favorite play, as his example. He shows how you read for causality above anything else you know everything's linked to everything it's brilliant it's it's been used all around the country for many years but it's just a gem and so they go into this virtual reality it's like a combination of pop culture references and elizabethan kind of visual stuff they're all it's all kind of floating and so you have to navigate these rooms and figure out what the theme of each room is and as it gradually coalesces in your mind and then you go to all the different scenes until, well, there's no text, until you get to the beginning. And what it does, and it's effective, it takes you out of the linear space. It takes you into a more intuitive space where you're forced not to think about in your normal way. And the students love it. You know, it's, it's, it's immersive. It sort of simulates visually what I want them, how I want them to think. So, and I can imagine that. it would be applicable across genres as well, yes. right? Playwriting, novel, plotting. You could do it for any genre. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, it was made for playwriting, but but part of the reason I didn't want to have text is so it wasn't didn't tie us to one particular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been talking about hybrid forms today on the show already. It seems like a thing that's in the ether here at AWP. Yeah, I think that's where things are going. And I, yeah. even in my fiction, I'm starting to use virtual reality. And I think in 10 years, it's it's not going to be that big of a deal. Like, it'll be a lot more people will be dupe playing around with that. Right. 
I love when I find that stuff or when I meet somebody. Yeah. So it's cool that you were talking to people about that. We were. That. We were. Yeah, it's been great. Johnny, it's been really nice to have you on the show. Yes, well, thank you for giving me a few minutes uh, to yeah. talk about Mount St. Mary's University in Los <laughs> Angeles. Teach three genres. They have a study abroad in Peru, blah, blah, blah. Look me up. <laughs> thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Fernandez in the house with us now. Cha cha. Are you? Did you decide you're going to sing for us? They're singing in the poem. Okay, right on. So let's start high, and if it goes low, it goes low. But I want to start high today. Can we start a little high? Start however you'd like. I want to tell. I want you to tell the good listeners. We just got back from a panel with you, and I want you to tell us what gives you hope about the students that you work with. The ability to question and to question what's in front of them and the ability to change their minds. So it's still there. It's still there. That's great. They're hardened by what they see and they're hardened by kind of the what they've brought up to believe, mm-hmm. whether it's through parents or friends or how they've been conditioned. They also live in a bubble. <laughs> they live in a bubble. And so once that bubble explodes and they understand there's other thoughts and other ways of dealing with things you see them start to become adults I mean not all the way adults they're still children but (laughs) there's hope and I'm just like all right great so I need you to pay into my retirement (laughs) (laughs) but it has to it has to be some some kind of thing to bear witness to that right to to be in the room yeah like you said in the room where it happens yeah absolutely like I I love what I do like I love what I do and I love when they get like that kernel of like knowledge and they're like something that they've never seen before or read before like the the netty the netty story that was the first my first time teaching an Afrofuturism story oh how cool and I didn't know how it was gonna go yeah and it went well and they took to it and I'm just like oh yes. bet like I am going to rethink everything now. Like, oh, we do this more. I want this more. more. And they're just like, this is so cool. Yeah. And oh my gosh. And they just get it. And I'm just like, yep. How about it? That's very cool. Let's keep going on that, that theme. Because it, the panel we were on, we were just talking about how to find, connect readers with that writing. Mm-hmm. And so on a bigger scale, when you're you know outside of the classroom mm-hmm. and you're looking for places to put your work mm-hmm. as an Afro-Latinx writer, what do you do? How are you? I pray. <laughs> I pray a lot. I call my friend Jasmine, who tells me to get out of my head mm-hmm. and that I am not superwoman and I cannot solve all the world's problems. And then I pray some more, some drinking's involved. And then after all that, really, uh, when I place stuff, I actually, I'm looking a lot of who I'm placing it with, not what where I'm placing it. So I tend to place things a lot with friends because I know they're going to give it its due, okay. its due course. Mm-hmm. Place it a lot with people who I've heard are really good editors, give me really good feedback. And not just a name. Not just a name. Because if it was a name... Girl, I'd be I'd be a Pulitzer Prize winning right now, <laughs> but that's not what's important to me. What's important to me is place it to place things where a 
it's going to get its due. Mm-hmm. It's going to have a great editor. It's going to have a space. It's going to have its life, right? Because once it's there, it's pretty much there. And then the second thing I'm looking for is where is it going to find its readership? I write a lot about... Here I am. I'm, I'm a fiction writer, but I'm writing nonfiction. So I, what I've been writing a lot lately is for the memoir. And it's been a lot of creative nonfiction. And it's been a lot of essays and uh, some poetry about the same subject. And I and I write about mental illness a lot. Right. Depression, anxiety. I have those. And very proud to say I have them, by the way. Can I just say, like, let's take away the stigma of that. And I'm mm-hmm. kind of proud that I could say that and yeah. like I own it yeah 100% and I deal with it and like you know it's like anything else and so I look to see how where it could go where, where it could do some good in, out in the world mm-hmm. this is important for me as a writer and a person with this with these illnesses to to show that hey there is some hope here yeah. there is lots of things to talk about and things totally. to to deal with in this in this space and it's not just all bad things sometimes there's beauty and struggle and so look at the beauty right yeah well then I'm, I'm wondering a little bit as you're you're putting these really tender pieces out there and, and you're looking for these editors what does that ideal editing process and collaborative process look like as you're finding where you place your work care yeah. it looks like care and support yeah. um I don't want ooh I'm going to say this out loud. <laughs> I don't want the editor to say, I feel so sorry for you. Because yeah. I'm not writing things for you to feel sorry about. For me. I got people who to feel sorry for me. Like, I, they're already on the payroll. Like, I don't need nobody else. <laughs> but I need them to understand that the work is representative of other people. Like, there's one of, you know, I'm one of a thousand, a couple thousand people, a couple million people, really, with this right and this is just one story and this is an empowering thing for other people to tell their stories as well so yeah i don't want you to feel sorry for me i'm fantastic <laughs> snaps to that snaps to that and there are people there are editors that you found that that do that walk that line and absolutely do a great job absolutely how'd you absolutely. find your way to them more praying more drinking <laughs> um, <laughs> you know i i've just been lucky i wish i could say like it's been methodical I wish I could say like, oh yeah, like I checked them off, but it's like coming to places like this, like AWP and like having conversations with the editors of these journals um, and just say, you know, I'll ask questions like, what are you looking for? And then I ask, what are you not looking for? And what does your process look like? Mm -hmm. I see who's, who's there, who's in their journals. And if I happen to, I happen to know people or know people who know people, I'll ask them like, how is it like, you know? with this process of this particular journal or this particular publisher because you know writers we talk yeah. <laughs> we talk and you know if I know that there was not a good experience I won't submit there at all like there's no reason to submit um, so tell us about so mental illness tell us about Dear Reader Dear Reader yay Dear Reader the podcast so Dear Reader dear, is this John Christian? <laughs> <laughs> Is this him? <laughs> Please tell me it is. I don't know. I felt a little more Johnny Cash. <laughs> I'm not sure how uh, I feel. But when John Grissom sing. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh my God, you guys! Oh. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. 
we could laugh at, uh, uh, towards the end of this day. Laughter like, I mean, is uh, essential. Well, yeah. In this apocalyptic age of <laughs> Okay, dear reader. <laughs> dear reader. Um, Dear Reader is a podcast that actually it's actually based on the blog, actually. Yeah. Um, So I've had this blog for many years. It's it's about my writing life. And then I when I rebranded it, I thought, oh, it's really about everything outside of the writing life. Anything from a reading to like. It's really about the exact opposite of of what I thought it was about. Right. It's exact. Isn't that sometimes a lot of the time what happens when we sit down to write? Yeah. It's like like, it's that process. It's that writing process. Like. Yeah, this isn't what it is, and I'm gonna start all over again. And oh, there goes four years down the tubes. Uh, it's such a joy, though. And that's why drinking happens. <laughs> and you know, or any beverage of your choice. Any beverage. I just I started it. I was I wanted to start it a podcast, and I just started on the whim. The first episode is literally me on the porch of my house, yeah, just dude. doing it, and yeah. then it ended up being like having readers my fr- literally talking to my friends and what does it say about me that if all, most of my friends have some sort of like mental illness what does that say about me or what does that say about america i think it's let's, yeah it's, let's, say, it's, let's talk about it that way yeah, american america get your life right so and like you know i have friends who are bipolar and who have depression who have anxiety who have panic attacks and yet they're creating and they're creating such fantastic work so i talked to them about it but i'm bomb there's the reader in a nutshell. Later, and we find it on iTunes? Yes. And all the other places? And all the other places. All the other places. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. So you were you were talking in this awesome panel that we went to earlier, which was on, you know, sensitivity reading and diversity and publishing. You were talking about BookTube and Bookstagram, which is really where a lot of the good stuff is happening. Yes. Yeah. What's, what's going on with that? I wish I had the patience to be a BookTuber. Oh, my gosh. Because I would do it in a heartbeat. I have, I barely have patience to edit my (laughs) podcast, much less booktube stuff. Can you imagine having to edit your video after? Oh, my God. Audio, visual, Who just ran under the table and started curling up into the fetal position, thinking about having to edit our video. That would be a disaster. Producer Larry's down. Producer Larry (laughs) is down. I was Sarah's reporter for 12 years. Oh my gosh. And um, yeah, big ups to American conglomerates. And like the worst part, ironically enough, was the writing. Wow. The best part was like talking to the people and getting the information. And I almost kind of wish I could like pay someone <laughs> to write it for me. Oh, wait, that was what I was getting paid for. Um, so that was pretty much the deal. Um, yeah, so the best part is talking, it was not writing. But yeah, like BookTube is amazing. Like, BookTube is where it's at. Like, if you are not listening to BookTubers, I don't know what's happening with your life. Like, get on it. Get on it. What is BookTube, like, what's happening there that's different from what's happening in a lot of mainstream media? They are reading the books that people actually want to read. They're not going for just straight literary or straight Mm -hmm. YA or straight romance or straight whatever genre they're reading everything or the books that have a six-figure publicity right budget right and they're reading everything i mean there's been some marketing folks who understood that and you can see that they get like they'll get like the pr packet right but they're also know that they're not entitled to that packet and they will review it 
I mean, they'll review it. If it's a bad book, it's just a bad book. Mm-hmm. And so they'll say, I got this in PR and look at all these cute things I got in PR. By the way, this book is trash. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the mug. Thanks for the mug. <laughs> Thank you for the brand new candle. And like, it, it's real. And so that's what I love about booktubers. And mm-hmm. especially like if someone like me, like I, I will read something and if I don't instantly love it, especially if I don't instantly love it, if I love it too, but I will read it and say, am I really understanding this the way I think I'm understanding it? And that, and booktubers help me with that. And they're like, no, you're right. Or no, this is how I took it. And they're great. And they're also, they also have a community, their own fan base. And they're really good at curating their community because they'll say, what should I read next? And the community will say, read this, read that, read that. And they'll, and they'll do it. So it's, it's where it's at. I mean, I really honestly think booktubers, Bookstagram. Bookstagram, yeah. It's where it's at. So we've talked about a lot of the ways that you are out in the world helping other people. I want to know what you're writing, because I actually don't know. Yeah, like how long? We've known each other for a little bit now. We've known each other for a little bit. And, and I swear to God, I thought you were a poet. <laughs> this oh, whole time. I'm a lot like, of people think I am, but I'm not. I well, know. I write poetry, but I, I don't call myself a poet because I think uh, there are actual poets in the world who do it really well (laughs) and I don't want to do a disservice to their work so I don't call myself a poet I just call myself a fiction writer who happens to be able to write in verse sometimes and sometimes it hits and sometimes it doesn't so yeah I write oh I write all the things I've been making this joke all day like I write to-do lists and and (laughs) curriculum and <laughs> website stuff. I do Syllabi. that too. Syllabi. All the other curriculum. Um, no, right now I'm working on a, on a memoir. Ooh, as I don't touch my eye because it, it just. <laughs> don't do it. Oh. Don't touch your face. Oh my gosh. The virus. Um. So no, I write. Um. Right now I'm writing memoir, and I'm writing a hybrid memoir, and it's about. The theme for today is hybrid. Is it really? All it's kinds true. of folks are coming in here and talking ding, about their ding, hybrid. Ding. Yeah. I feel like. Have you watched like? It's like Pee Wee Playhouse. Exactly. Yeah, we're the day. We're the day. Woo. So hybrid. Sherry, ah. she said hybrid. <laughs> Can you do a Pee Wee voice? No, that's that's hard. Can anyone here do? No. No. If somebody stubbed on my toe, maybe, maybe I can get that high of an active. Um, so yeah, it's about mental illness and the way mental illness plays, played in my life specifically. So it deals with issues of identity, racial identity, my identity of being back home because I was away for so long. I was a reporter for 12 years. Then, you know, things happen. Where, where is home? Home is Houston, H-Town. Always in my heart. <laughs> And then what it's like to be home, kind of dealing with the ghosts of your past a little bit. Um, and what of, makes it hybrid? What makes it hybrid is that it's poetry and creative nonfiction. How about it? So the poetry comes when it needs to come. Like it highlights certain things and then it goes into narrative. And so that's what it's doing. And so it's talking about identity. It's talking about, you know, it's talking about being infertile. Like, those things are also part of, like, dealing with the depression, dealing with anxiety. And it starts off with, like, my first remembered anxiety attack, which has ironically happened at an airport in Seattle, Hmm. of all places, on the way home. And I just, it just hit me hard. And I thought I, I was, genuinely thought I was having a heart attack. Oh, my gosh. Genuinely. Yeah. Went to the doctor afterwards. She's all like, no, no. This is this is this is a straight this was a straight off panic attack, 
And so that's how it starts. Yeah. Do you have, is that what you're going to read for us? Will you read something for, for I us? I can. I have, actually, it's a poem. I'm reading a poem. It's a poet. The non-poet's reading a poem. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> and this is actually today. in the collection. This is part of, in the part, uh, in the part of the, of the memoir where I talk about identity. Mm-hmm. And I can read it. There's some singing. Can I, can I, can I, can I apologize it. for my voice? No, no, you may not. I'm There's apologize. no apologizing. Okay. That's trash. <laughs> On this podcast, I'm the only one who can who is apologize the only one for anything. To <laughs> me, 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 me. Okay, it is called "Forgetting Cuba," and I dedicate this to my sister, who actually passed away about a year and a half ago now in Cuba. I mean, we only got to see each other once before she passed away, so she was older than me. And this is based on a song called Los Cardeñas. It's a Cuban bolero song. You probably heard uh, Buena Vista Social Club sing it. It's a gorgeous song. Part one. One day I asked my faraway sister what she had for lunch. Los cameos, the Cuban ingenuity in transportation, buses wielded together like the Spanish and African and Taino, roared along the pothole streets of La Habana. My memory triggers. There is a place in the city where the roads are the new bolero, of lamenting verses of speeding cars, el refrán of the charming Frankensteins, pieced together with wires and nostalgia, wrapped in good intentions and necessity. My beautiful sister sister yells the answer into the phone, not because the song is loud, but because Cubans are loud. We yell our whispers and have subtlety and save subtlety for our art. She answers, eggs, because all she has are eggs. Es que la cosa está dura en Cuba. Things are always shit in Cuba. But the smile hides the challenge with the heavy perfume of Cardenas coming from the shredded steps of El Malecón. Caribbean waters slap coastline, remembering los momentos before we were Cuba or Spain before exile was introduced as the reason my abuela only existed in photographs. Jodida pero contenta, the national motto, the key of the Caribbean, forgotten in time among the pages of history like a cautionary tale. And my sister begs, please don't forget me, but I've already forgotten our conversation. Part two. My tongue trips over words like bichero or tarecos. My faded memory grabs songs from my father's childhood like smoke from his cigar. Dos cardenas para ti, con ellas quiero decir, te quiero, te adoro, mi vida. Romeo y Julietas are the best. I only remember because I use Shakespeare to cheat. Romeo and Juliet and love lost. Love lost like my island. My island is lost. My island where Romeo era era un tipo jíbaro, stained green with work from La Sierra Mastra, a place I never visited but can recall. How the taste of mata, mata pricks the back of my throat and how cigar smoke forces tears for obscured ancestor. Ponle todas tu atención. Que serán tu corazón y el mío. My tears flower into gardenas. Those gardenas are how my ancestors say hello. Hola. 
te quiero, te adoro, mi vida, but I've forgotten how to return the greeting. Part two, part three. Pero si un atardecer, las cardenas de mi amor se mueren. Es porque has adivinado que tu amor me ha traicionado, porque existe otro querer. I am lost when I reach for words that were once part of my DNA, and soon I become accustomed to the hole in my identity. I pluck two cardenas in hopes to remember the loss, forgetting why arroz con frijoles negros is only for special days, how Celia and Benny are for New Year's and the Guantanamena is for always, how salsa was rumba before it was on one or two, how the song whispers and shows you how to move through life, through love, through hard times. Es que la cosa está dura en Cuba, pero estamos jodidos y contentos. But you are not on the island. What is a true Cuban without a white rose in January or June? It is the same month when your new tongue begins the words with the same letter. And the rhythm of your step falls away from your native son. And your tongue is dirty with alien words. Gardenas only last so long. Gardenas forgotten will wilt. Gardenas wilted do not return. I push against other people's nostalgia to remember phone calls to a faraway sister, photographs of happy people, heavy cigars and loud laughs, lingering after all night dances where music whispers, teaching you how to move in Cuban, how the ocean always kisses you when you stand too close. I am saving what's left of Cuba, my Cuba, using it drop by drop, afraid it will run out taking care that part of it still belongs to me. I am so happy to know your work now. <laughs> wow. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, thank you. You're welcome, you're welcome. Hi, sister, it's great to have you on the show. It was great to be on the show. Dude, let's do it again. For sure. Like right now, let's just start over and do a whole nother show. Okay, <laughs> ready, go, take two. <laughs> You're the best. Thank you. I hope you have a fantastic AWP. I will. I'm going to go take a nap because I have to read. (laughs) Enjoy your nap. I will. I will. You guys have a fantastic AWP. Bye, guys. Thank you. This has been a live recording at the 2020 AWP Conference and Book Fair in conjunction with Bloomsday Literary. We are proud to feature Brazos Bookstore, an independent bookstore serving both the Houston community and across the nation. Brazos curates a wide selection of literary favorites, and guess what? They deliver to your door. Please support independent bookstores for your books and book-related merchandise. Visit our friends at BrazosBookstore.com. The, the, all the staff here at the convention center has yeah. been super nice. They're like, oh, you don't have your pass? Come on in. You can't get through that locked door? I'll take you the back way. It's been it's been very homey, I feel. You need a ride to the restroom? Hop on this car. <laughs> I'd like to give a shout-out to Freddie. Freddie, yeah, he's great. Yeah. To the bathroom. The title of your memoir, I don't care what it is yeah. now. Problematic. Is that the title of your memoir? Uh-huh. Oh, I love it. 
but that's not what it is. The title of the memoir is the last text you wrote. Uh, am I allowed? Okay, what's the last? Ha! I don't know. It's gonna be lame, guys. Okay, the last text I wrote. The last last one. <laughs> I wrote it to one of my students, <laughs> and it's lame. <laughs> oh, sorry, it's lame. <laughs> Give it to someone else. It's a good beginning piece for a new reporter. <laughs> no, that's a good. memoir. A, a memoir. memoir by Isis Fernandez. <laughs> a mood. It's a complete mood. It's a mood. Awesome. Every time the mics turn awesome. off, there's a hundred more things to say. So we're coming back at you. That's with why Angel's usually super. I keep it on. I know. I thought maybe we were going. Just doesn't trust me to not say something. That's silly. not true. <laughs> I trust you explicitly. I trust you more than I trust myself, Lily. Thinks I have all the cultural references in my back pocket as a college student, and most of the time I don't know what she's like. She's been talking about ravioli all weekend, and I don't know what's going on. There you go. Everything from happens. this moment forward shall be Jericho Brown. Jericho, Jericho Brown. I sing things like this is what I. This is okay. Some people like deal with the anxiety in one way. I sing. I try to sing through. <laughs> No, I want to know. Oh, Fu was talking about uh, effing Shakespeare calculations, and I just said, quick maths. <laughs> do, do you know no, that? No, yeah, okay, no. I get that. I'm Hashtag a millennial quick and math. I don't know. Can we take this out? Yeah, it's, it's just funky math. It's a funky math. No, it's in. It's staying. It's you know what quick math is? We'll, we'll link the video in the episode notes. <laughs> Are you mansplaining? Are you mansplaining? I'm, I'm shutting up right now. Right now. Okay, so That's what I'm doing. doing. <laughs> no, I'm saying that because this is AWP Zombie Apocalypse version edition. <laughs> I'm so enjoying Zombie Apocalypse though. Yes, that's the thing. I get like all the people I really want to be with. <laughs> together kind of way. and it's like this is perfect <laughs> this is the kingdom that Kate and I dream of establishing it is. on earth it as is it is in kingdom. heaven and sing it yes <laughs> sing it sister oh, on earth as it is in podcast land